Today we begin a new sermon series. Uh, We're calling it Trinity at Work. Trinity at Work. Um, This series is continuing our attention on those chapters in John's Gospel uh, that communicate to us what is referred to as the upper room discourse. These conversations, these topics that Jesus covered with his followers the night that he was going to be betrayed. And so we've had a number of sermon series uh, covering uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, and now we're at chapter 16. And in this chapter, Jesus helps his followers by telling them a a bit more about the Spirit, about himself, the Son, and then also about the Father, um, preparing them for the time that they would be the church with Jesus no longer in their midst in the way he had been. And so, today we get to talk about the Spirit. There's a 1950s movie, uh, maybe you've seen it late at night, uh, maybe you saw it, um, I don't know if it's on which streaming service it's on, but it's called Harvey, Harvey. It uh, stars Jimmy Stewart. Um, I gave some contemplation about trying my best Jimmy Stewart, uh, I, I just, that would have been a bad idea. Jimmy Stewart plays the character Elwood P. Dowd. And Elwood has this uh, friend, a friend that nobody else can see, a friend by the name of Harvey, who happens to be a six-foot, three-and-a-half-inch-tall, invisible white rabbit. And you go through the movie, and you go through the movie wondering, is he real, or is Elwood just all messed up? And you're not sure you're not sure. And maybe that's kind of how we might be feeling with regard to the Holy Spirit. Some of us may be left wondering. I know other people talk about Him. Other people say that they, they sense the Spirit and the, the Spirit moves in them. And, and some of us can be wondering, is that real? Do I want that? Do, do I lack that? What is that like? Well, today we will talk about Trinity at work, Spirit. This is the third person of the Trinity. Um, Our text is John's Gospel, chapter 16, and we'll begin in the second half of verse 14, and we'll continue through verse 15. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to open that to the passage, and if you're at home participating, that um, uh, take a moment, go grab your Bible and open it up, John 16. And this is Jesus speaking. Let us hear the word of God. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God show his favor upon us as we come under that word this morning. I believe that there are three things for us to learn in this text, at least three things. One is that the Holy Spirit is sent to followers because of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is sent to to followers because of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is sent to followers for the world, and that the Holy Spirit is sent to followers for followers. Let's take a look at each one of those in turn. So first, sent to followers because of Jesus. In verse 5, Jesus says, I am going, and none of you asks me. Where are you going? Well, it turns out Peter actually had asked him. So we've, we find in uh, John 13, verse 37, that Peter is shown there saying, where are you going? So how do we respond to that? Is that just that Jesus had an off moment and he couldn't remember that? Or... Um, uh, well, scholars, as they uh, think through this and, and uh, look at the text and the, um, what we find in the passages, a number of scholars uh, conclude that when we look at chapter 13 and we look at chapter 14 and all the content that's in there, what we see is um, a great amount of repetition of the same material in chapters 15 and 16. So some scholars, they'll conclude that, that there's really two forms that the, that the text had taken and that as they were brought together, that they were both included one before the other. And that could be, that could be. Others will come to a conclusion that, that what Jesus is drawing out is just that um, when the question was asked, there wasn't really a sincere interest in truly knowing where Jesus was going. It was being asked more uh, reflective of where the disciples were. Let me give you an example of what that can be. You know, when two people are infatuated, and, and I mean, just like, just romantically in love. And they get on the phone late, late at night with each other and talk. She says, um, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. Oh, boo. Oh, come on. No, you hang up. I don't want to hang up for And they go back and forth. And it's really not caring for the other one. It's all they can think about is the loss of not talking to their loved one. So it may be something similar here where the disciples are going, you're going away? Where, where are you going? With not a concern about where Jesus is actually going, but just conveying their own sense of loss, their own sense of despair in that moment. So disciples focus on their loss rather than on Jesus' actual story. You know, in our passage, Jesus doesn't really get into where he is going even though it is a universe-changing trip that he's about to take. Even though Jesus doesn't get into the story, we can, and we can do it briefly here together. We can remind ourselves where Jesus went from that conversation, where Jesus ended up going, the trip that Jesus took on our behalf and on the world's behalf. We know that Jesus went to the cross, that on the cross he died for the, the, the sins of all the world, that he paid the penalty so that we would not have to, that he went from the cross to the tomb because he was dead, his body, he was gone, he, he died. 
That from the tomb he uh, rose again. That he went from the cross to the tomb to the resurrection. And then eventually the ascension to be alongside the Father. The Apostle Paul paints this picture for us. He grabs an early church hymn and he uh, describes the journey this way. Describing Jesus, it says uh, in Philippians 2 verses 8 through 11, And being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to, to the glory of God the Father. The trip from the lowest to the highest, from the, from the cross to being in that place exalted by God, that every knee should bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. A number of years ago, um, our youngest son, John, uh, who already had kind of a, a, a connection with the great outdoors, um, he applied to Backpacker Magazine to go on uh, this trip. It was a fundraising trip, and he applied and was accepted. And, and so I think he was, I don't know, I can't remember if he was in middle school or a freshman in high school, but he goes and he joins this group of people climbing Mount Whitney in early spring. So for him, it meant I get a hike now with an ice pick, and I get a, I get a hike with uh, crampons and, and do all this kind of stuff. So he goes on a trip, and he's climbing. On the day that he was ascending uh, to the summit of Mount Whitney, I was down, <laughs> down below, uh, and I took the rental car to Death Valley, which is about 85 miles away from Mount Whitney. So I'm in Death Valley at Badwater Basin. It's the lowest point in the continental U.S., at 282 feet below sea level. And John is at the highest point in the continental U.S., at 14,495 feet. The lowest and the highest. The lowest and the highest. This is the journey. In fact, it, it makes that comparison between Badwater Basin and the summit of uh, Mount Whitney just pale in comparison. Jesus went to the lowest, the death on the, on the, his death on the cross, and then is raised and exalted to be above all things. This is where Jesus was going. And again, others have commented on this, but that, that we can kind of even hear in the way Jesus brings it up, that maybe there's this little bit of disappointment. It's, I, I know you're going to miss me, but aren't you interested in my story? Aren't you interested in the story I'm living out. It's so easy for us to think that we're kind of a main character on the stage, right? That, that hey, it's really kind of my story. <laughs> Isn't it time to live out my story? And, and God, don't you want to serve my story? And, and here Jesus had invited them into his story. That his story is the one that defines all other stories. And so Jesus tells them, even though he doesn't get into all the details of where he's going, he goes, listen, this is something you need to know, is that it's a good thing I am going away. His departure means that he will send the Spirit to them. And he tells them, this is to your advantage. You know, what would be better than 
having Jesus alongside you where, wherever you went, to where you could go with Jesus, the actual Jesus with you. Can you imagine, like, if you, um, uh, if you go to work and Jesus goes with you, and, and in the board meeting or in the, the team gathering, that, that Jesus would speak wisdom and you go, I'm with this guy. Or at your dinner table, if Jesus sat there and spoke to you during your dinner, or, or, or if you walked out into the community and, and you could see Jesus heal people and, and speak truth, and how wonderful that would be. And yet Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. We can look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 to understand why. This is a text that's actually quoted also in the New Testament in this prophecy uh, um, with great time before Jesus ever came into this world, uh, in the prophet of, uh, prophecy of Joel, we find these words, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Just goes, listen, it's to your advantage. If I stay with you, just the people right around me will know. I'll be doing the heavy lifting. I'll be doing the work. And, and if I go, though, you're going to get the Spirit. And not only you, but all my followers will get the Spirit. All my followers will be poured out on all the followers of Christ. And they'll do amazing things in this world. It's to your advantage that I go away because then you will receive the Spirit. And this didn't happen. The coming of the Spirit didn't happen except that Jesus went away. It only happened because Jesus went away and took the trip that he alone could take. And it happens now that you have the Holy Spirit. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, if you've said yes, I know he died on the cross, I know that I'm one, one of those people who bends her knee or his knee, that I, with my tongue, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you know that you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to followers because of Jesus and the trip he was willing to take. And so we can know that Jesus wants us to have just this intimate, powerful relationship with his Spirit. All right, so the second thing we learn in our text uh, is that uh, the Spirit is sent to followers for the world. Sent to followers for the world. Ha, uh, how many times in your life have you asked the question, what's this for? What's this for? Ha, have you ever, like, maybe you, you're not much of a chef, and so you go into one of those uh, stores that has all the kitchen supplies, and, and you're walking through, and, and, and you're one of those obnoxious people that'll pick something up and yell across the store, hey, Vicky, what's this for? Um, maybe you've been in a hardware store and hardware store stuff isn't really your thing and, and you've found something, you go, I wonder what this is for. We're going to play a little bit of what's this for. I'm going to show you uh, um, some different pictures and I want you to guess what's this for. You ready to play the game? All right, let's look at our first picture. What's this for? What's this for? You, you know it's a hammer, right? So what's it for? You can hammer in nails. It's got a claw on the back and pull nails off. For some of us, this is for everything. It fixes everything. You give it enough wax, and it's going to be better off, right? So that's what this is for. Let's see if you know what this is for. Do you know what this is for? What is that? 
Yeah, so if you happen to guess that uh, this is a trepanation tool, you're right. It is for drilling holes in people's heads. It comes to us from the 18th century. By the way, the 18th century in Europe was known as the trepan century. <laughs> they were just all the rage. Let's drill another hole in somebody's head. This tool got a lot of use in that century. Um, I don't think they carry it anymore at uh, Home Depot. Um, okay, one more. How about this? This. What's this for? What's this for? Do you know what this is for? Maybe I can help you with the name of it. It is a dental key. So this is a 19th century tool to extract teeth. And you would put it on a tooth and twist it. I know, cringe, cringeworthy. And unfortunately, it just tended to break a lot of teeth and break jaws as well. So they went to a whole different way after that. What's this for? And maybe that's what some of us are doing. What is the Spirit for? What is this weird thing? I, I, I can understand Jesus. I can understand maybe God the Father. And, but when we think about the Spirit, what is the Spirit for? Well, um, we find out in our text that the Holy Spirit arrives with a purpose for the world for the world. The way that Dale Bruner puts it in his commentary, he says really the Spirit comes to do three things for the world. And the three things are to tell and convict the world of what's wrong, to convict the world of what's right, and to convict the world of who won. What's wrong, what's right, and who won. In fact, if we look at verse 8, we find that uh, Jesus says there, convict the world concerning sin, what's wrong, Concerning righteousness, what's right? And concerning judgment, who won? So first, what's wrong? Verse 9. Concerning sin, that they do not believe in me. That's what's wrong. The Spirit comes to convict the world that they do not believe in Jesus Christ. You know, we can look at the world and we might identify all kinds of things that are wrong. The outbreak of violence, even just yesterday in our own country. But we know also across the world, we could say that the sin of the world is violence, or we could say the sin of the world is injustice, or the, the, the sin of the world is the way we mistreat one another, uh, the, the, the whole idea of overconsuming and other people's, we could identify a long list of things, and Jesus identifies this. You know what's wrong? They don't know me. They don't believe in me. That's the one thing. That's the sin that the world needs to be convicted of. And then he tells them what's right, that the Spirit convicts about what's right. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, that I go to the Father and that you see me no more. You know what's right? That Jesus fulfills the mission of God. The thing that God began in the beginning with all of creation then after the fall, continued to reach out and to extend grace and call the people unto himself and said, you know, through you, Abram, that all the people of the world will be blessed, that that story is coming to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You know what's right? Jesus fulfills the mission of God. That he goes to the Father, that God's plan has worked and it comes to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. 
We might wonder, then, what's that next line? Where it says, if Jesus goes to the Father and you see me no more. Again, a tip of the hat to Bruner here, that, that, that it's not just that Jesus goes to the Father, but then that the church continues through faith. That even if Jesus is no longer here, the church continues to grow. And that even though the church no longer sees Jesus in this world, the disciples no longer see Jesus in this world, that it continues faithfully in that mission of God in this world. What's wrong, what's right, and who won? Concerning judgment, the ruler of this world is judged. That Jesus champions and defeats the evil one. So we can notice that the message from the Spirit to the world is all about Jesus. What's wrong? Don't believe in Jesus. What's right? Jesus fulfills the mission of God. And the church continues to believe in him. And who won? Jesus did. And the ruler of this world is conquered. We might wonder, well, how is this accomplished? Maybe we might even look at this passage and go, okay, that's great. The Spirit takes care of that. We don't have to worry a thing about it. But there's nothing here about a, a mystical work of the Spirit. The Spirit works through God's people. The Spirit is given to followers for the world. That we carry this message for. In fact, John 14, 17, we read these words regarding the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you're a follower of Christ, if you said yes to Jesus Christ, you said, you're the Lord, I know I'm not. You're the one who died on the cross. You are the one who conquered death through your resurrection. You reign on high with the Father even now. And if you said that, then you can see, you know, you, you're aware of the Spirit, that the Spirit is at work in you. You can receive the Spirit, and you have received the Spirit. And we represent that Spirit. We bring that Spirit to the world. So it's through our words and our actions. And by the way, you already know the story. You're already empowered with the gospel. If you grew up in the church, you've been in the church any time, any length of time, you've already heard this story. We find it in the Apostles' Creed. We know that. In fact, I've, I'll put it on the screen here, and this words in yellow are the, the words about Jesus. And Why don't we even just say it together right now? Would, would you join with me? Let's say these words. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The truth of the story of Jesus Christ. You know that story. And as you go and share that story with other people around you, you find creative ways. Hey, Listen, hey, we're all kind of right along with Pontius Pilate. You know, when we hear his name, yes, he was a person that lived in the first century, but that's us. He's everyday person. We would have done the same thing, try to wash our hands of the whole Jesus thing, but we can't. Listen, we needed Jesus to die on the cross, and he died on the cross. And, and then he was taken from there, and he, he was resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of God. And he judges over all things. And he empowers his church through his spirit. And I'm bringing that word to you because you need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord and he loves you.
we can tell that story to other people. The Spirit is sent to followers for the world, on the world's behalf. So let us use our words and our actions, trusting that the Spirit will work through us. The third thing we can learn from this passage is that the Spirit is sent to followers for followers. For followers. In our passage, Jesus says, hey, listen, I've got many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them all now. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so as we read through the story of the New Testament, and we, we look at the, uh, um, the, the writings uh, that are in there, the writings of Paul and others, we find that they're trying to, uh, and working at clarifying understanding for the church. If you read church history and begin to look at the councils and, and, and the uh, development of teaching along the way, we find that the church is continuing to work out the understanding. And so you think about, well, what else needed to happen? What else needed to be revealed? What did the Spirit guide the disciples into? Well, stuff like the Trinity. Jesus didn't give a full teaching on that. The two natures of Christ, justification through Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone. These are the type of things that the Spirit continued to work out in their midst. And then Jesus says, listen, there are limits to what the Spirit will teach. In fact, in these limits, we can find this parallel between Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and Jesus. Between Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and Jesus. When we look at um, uh, the relationship between Jesus and the Spirit, we find this in verses 13 and, and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. There's a limit. He won't speak on his own authority. But whoever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see this relationship between the Spirit? The Spirit is all about Jesus. All about Jesus. There's the, 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 the guardrails, the guidelines, the, the, the limitations. The Spirit's going to come and keep driving us toward the gospel. But we also know what Jesus had said about the Father. He goes, listen, the words I say aren't my words. They're the Father's words. This is, I'm not doing my will. I'm doing the will of the Father who sent me. In fact, uh, if you know me, you know the Father. As Jesus is to the Father, this, the Spirit is to Jesus. There's this, this, this representation that's taking place the, that Christ would drive us to the Father and the Spirit would drive us toward Jesus, would drive us toward the gospel. You know, this is so important for our year, this year as a church. We'll be asking, what's next? God, what do you have for us? What do you want to reveal to us? What, what do you want us to know? What do you want us to be convicted of? And to know that God has given the Spirit to followers, for followers. What does faithfulness look like now and for the years ahead of us? So we're going to trust the Spirit to reveal to us our blind spots. We're going to trust the Spirit to reveal to us our ignorance, to trust the Spirit to reveal to us our sinfulness. But we'll also trust the Spirit that the Spirit will make us aware of the opportunities that Christ has for us to represent Him in this world, to reveal to us the mission that Christ has, new avenues of the mission that we might have, the new depths of relationship, maybe even reveal to us how we might be able to recover first love of Christ. The Spirit is sent to followers for followers. 
In other words, we don't grow except through the Spirit. The Spirit works in us. All right, so the Spirit is at work. The Spirit is at work working uh, to reveal Christ in our lives. I think of, a, of two people in a canoe, right? So if you have two people in a canoe, and, and if they're not paying attention to each other, you just see that canoe kind of go all over the place, right? That even if you have the best uh, um, uh, person in the back of the canoe, that you put somebody who has no idea what they're doing in the front of the canoe and doesn't pay attention at all to what the person's doing in the back of the canoe, that canoe's going to have a hard time maintaining that course. But if the person in the front of the canoe pays attention to that better one in the back of the canoe, the more trained one, the one with greater insight, that canoe can hold its course in even some of the toughest winds. And so God has given us through Jesus Christ, through his departure, through his journey, through the cross and the tomb and the resurrection, the ascension, that we receive the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to be guided into all that is for Jesus Christ, that we could keep our faces pointed toward Jesus Christ. And so here's what we might ask of each other, that knowing the Spirit is at work, that we would join together and that we would trust and we would listen and we would submit that we would trust, that trust that there is more going on, that there is more going on, that it's not just you and me together in, this, in these uh, earthly conversations, but we have the Spirit, and the Spirit is at work for the world and for followers of Christ, that we trust that God's Spirit is in us. We will listen. We'll listen for every prompting that brings us closer to Christ and more in alignment with His teaching. Maybe there was something in a song this morning that the Spirit used to go, listen, this is Jesus. Maybe there was something in, in Joss's prayer this morning. You were just, you were sitting there, you kind of, all of a sudden, the Spirit connects you with something that draws you closer to Christ. Maybe something in this passage. Let's listen for those promptings that drive us to Jesus. And then together, let's submit. Let's live out the Christ-centered life, the Christ-centered guidance that the Holy Spirit gives Listen, we have something so much better than a six-foot, three-and-a-half-inch invisible white rabbit, although that'd be pretty cool too. We have the third person of the Trinity given to us through Jesus Christ that we would live with him and for him in this world. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you that, that um, in Jesus Christ and through his death and resurrection that we were not left alone, that we get to represent you in this world and that you have equipped us with your very Spirit who will continue to, to turn our faces toward Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that you would find in us such a willingness to be used of your Spirit, to share the message of Christ with the world around us, that in our actions and in our words, that, that the Spirit would convict the hearts of others on what's wrong and what's right and who won. God, for any of us that are still struggling, just wondering, okay, what does that look like? Would you help us in this week? Would you clarify? Would the working of the Spirit continue to drive us toward Jesus even this week? To you be all the glory. We give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.